Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back. Happy Thanksgiving week to everybody, which also means it's a rivalry week in a lot of college football. It's Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. We're getting the podcast out early because, you know, you got stuff to do. You have family coming into town. Maybe you're traveling. We want to make sure you can listen to these podcasts while you're waiting in line shopping or whatever. So we're going to talk about the big games this week in college football, primarily Ohio State, Michigan, and USC Notre Dame, which are the two competitive games that are really going to impact the playoff race this week. Shahan, I thought we did a really good podcast for Apple Podcast subscribers. Those are the people who are paying three bucks a month to get a bonus episode every week, 75 cents an episode, where we ranked the best rivalries of the college football playoff era. We're in the ninth year of the college football playoff era. If you want to listen to that, get subscribed on Apple and you can do that. But this is cool. I mean, it that it lines up in a holiday week and it's just naturally the end of the regular season. And it's not everybody's rivalry game, but it's a lot of people's rivalry game. Like it is just a fantastic week for college football fans. I, I I don't know how we did it. I don't know if it was Abraham Lincoln or Teddy Roosevelt who decreed that you play rivalry games the week of Thanksgiving, but somebody did it and it's cool. Yeah, actually it was, uh, it was Gerald Ford. Uh, he was the one hey. who uh, he, he played football at Michigan and was like, there are too many dang Ohio presidents. Why are there so many presidents in Ohio? I'm sick of it. November should not be about all these Ohio presidents. It should be about Ohio State versus Michigan. Love that guy. Gerald Ford. Great dude. <laughs> Look at that guy. Yeah, how about that? Fun fact, uh, did you know that SMU Stadium is named Gerald Ford Stadium after a completely unrelated Gerald Ford? Really? Yeah, there's a completely separate rich guy named Gerald Ford who's not the president who <laughs> paid to name SMU Stadium. How is the name of that stadium not Gerald Ford, not the president, the other guy stadium, because in the meantime, you're paying all that money and people think it though. Doesn't everyone think it's for the president? Absolutely. I didn't know it was. I had covered countless games at that stadium. It's Gerald J. Ford Stadium. And I did not realize that it was not the Gerald Ford, who's Gerald R. Ford, until Chris Vanini went and did a story out there over at The Athletic and I was just like, I feel like, what's it called? The Mandela effect where you just, uh, where we have this collective delusion that, that turns out is completely wrong, which by the way, I always thought it was weird. I'm like, man, I don't think Gerald Ford has any ties down to the state of Texas. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's a dishonor. I have no idea, but uh, no, completely different Gerald Ford. I love the idea of, uh, cause when you, when you pay to name something, right? Like you are. You're hoping to carry on legacy. I, I love the idea that some rich guy was just like, people need to remember the name Gerald Ford. They need to remember. The name. We got to make sure that we have Gerald Ford on buildings like that was a concern. So uh, also also fun fact about the 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 main Gerald Ford. Uh, he actually uh, was the only president to not be elected as president or vice president because he well, was appointed. That. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, man. Not, not not everybody was born in the whatever years, decades you were born in. Okay, that's new information for millennials and 
<laughs> Gen Excuse Z. Excuse me for, for being alive while Gerald Ford was president. I guess that makes me 150. <laughs> I was born personally during the Clinton administration. <laughs> Bill Clinton, the only president from Arkansas, in case you weren't alive when he was president. I do think uh, – I think the other – the SMU Gerald Ford should have a nickname. So that it's very clear, like it should be like Gerald Lefty Ford Stadium or something, because the middle initial people don't know. And then people would be like, I didn't know the president's nickname was Lefty. And it'd be like, no, 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 no. It's the other guy. So I, if I was that rich guy, I would have given myself a nickname as soon as Gerald Ford became president and been like, OK, right. I'm T-Bone now. Right. That's like the Seinfeld thing, whatever. Seinfeld is a show that was on in the 90s before Jahan was born, <laughs> since we have to place everything in place and time now. OK, so we are going to do our our playoff teams that are in our discussion because we've been narrowing it and we didn't send out a vote because everybody knows what the deal is. And we're doing this before the committee, but like the committee is not that important this year. Now, it might be super important when it actually matters in the final rankings, if it gets a little hairy, and it might, and we'll talk about that. But we all know what the deal is right now. We all know Georgia's one. We all know Ohio State's two, Michigan's three, and TCU's four. And so, like, we we know what's up, and we know USC is lurking. So we had nine teams a week ago, Shahan, in our playoff discussion, because those were the only nine teams that still had a chance to win the, to, to get in the 14 playoff, and two of them lost. And Tennessee and North Carolina lost. And so we are down to seven, right? It's Ohio State, Michigan in the Big Ten. It's Clemson in the ACC. It's TCU in the Big 12. It's USC in the Pac-12. And it's Georgia and LSU in the SEC. Does that feel right? The seven at this stage in the in the final week of the regular season, seven teams in the mix for four spots. Pretty good. Because I'll tell you what, there's been years where it's like, hey, you know, Ohio State in 2014 was still – not even in the top 10 yet at this point. And then storm. I, no one's storming in, I don't think, at this point. We, we have a pretty clear view of who the seven are, and we're going to take four of them. No doubt. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, <clears throat> I got to say, I am furious at North Carolina. I just absolutely just so angry because they did that. One, right after we added them to the college football playoff show for the first time this year, they lost to Georgia Tech, by the way, in just a miserable football game. Um, so first of all, they lost as soon as they got added to these rankings to a team that is not very good and fired their coach. And two, I had just gotten aboard the, hey, maybe Drake May should win the Heisman bandwagon. And then he went and did that right after I sent out some tweets. And uh, I'm just very angry, very, very angry. North Carolina's dead to me. They're irrelevant. I don't care what they do. Uh, they they are dead to me. No, just again, for anyone who doesn't understand, people always wonder, hey, the college football sport, sports writers, are you biased? Do you have a team that you root for? There's only one team you root for as a sports writer, and it's yourself. And when someone <laughs> makes you look silly, then you're mad. Yes. Especially the same week. The same week. Yeah. You couldn't have waited a week. You, you couldn't have waited and let me get my tweets off before uh, before you decided to do that. It's not like you're a closet like NC State or Duke fan. You're just no. mad at North Carolina because North Carolina took down Shahan. And Shahan <laughs> roots for Shahan. First, and what, what kind of conflict so, yes. is that? Man versus Tar Heel? I, I don't know what that uh, that falls into. If you guys are not listening to the Apple Show, we had a whole protagonist literature discussion where we really we're again we're providing entertainment, but we're spreading knowledge on this show. 
Let's do a little Heisman thing real quick because, you know, there's the sports betting things that email sports writers. And I just got one in my box on Monday morning that Caleb Williams is now the Heisman favorite, slightly ahead of C.J. Stroud. So that is coming off, you know, through for 500 plus, I think it was against UCLA, just looked the part. And I do think there's a part of it. C.J. Stroud is a very, very good player. The things that he does best often don't translate into highlights, but he is a very good player and he is the leader of a very, very, very good team. But as it sits right now, 11 weeks in, and again, we've had this conversation a lot, 11 weeks in last year, C.J. Stroud was the leader. He just thrown six touchdown passes against Michigan State. But like that's that's different than where we are because C.J. Stroud did not throw six touchdown passes at Maryland last week. And it was Caleb Williams who had that kind of game. And if you just looked at it, Caleb Williams looked more like the Heisman winner than C.J. Stroud did last week. Now, that's not what it's about. But for a snapshot, that's why he's ahead in the betting markets now, barely. I think one's 10 to 11 and the one's 11 to 10. Like they're, It's basically a coin flip with those two. But that was real from Caleb Williams. And now they're, they're the two quarterbacks who were on the main stages of this because we know J.J. McCarthy matters. Drew Pine is going to matter for Notre Dame. But this is Caleb Williams for USC and C.J. Stroud for Ohio State who are expected to put on shows – and lead their teams to victory in the two biggest games of the weekend. And it will go a long way in the Heisman conversation, how they play and how those games shake out. No doubt. And I I think that one thing we really have to look at, certainly for Caleb Williams, the story is fully, fully there, right? I mean, this was a team that went five or four and eight last season. Uh, He's come in they're 10 and one for the first time since 2008, when Pete Carroll was still the head coach at USC. That's how long it's been. And, uh, and I think that the other thing that you really have to like about Caleb Williams right now is that he's playing his best football right now. He, you know, he had a little bit of a slow start to the season. I think that certainly that Oregon State game uh, in week four, where he did lead a game winning drive. And I think he deserves credit for that. Um, you know, he wasn't at his best, but over the past couple of weeks, 364 touchdowns against Cal, uh, three touchdowns last week against Colorado. Again, 470 yards passing, 33 yards rushing, three total touchdowns, completed 74% of his passes in the biggest game of USC season. I, I think that's huge. And like you said, he's going to have two more opportunities to go out and win the Heisman playing Notre Dame this upcoming week, which is, I think, uh, it's going to be a good barometer game because C.J. Stroud struggled in a lot of ways against Notre Dame. So if, if, if Caleb has a great game, I think that's going to help him. And uh, and then probably against Oregon in the uh, in the Pac-12 championship game. So a lot of opportunities left. You know, and C.J., I... <laughs> Look, I'm going to get myself into more trouble, but over the last three weeks, he hasn't been all that impressive, right? I mean, he's completing 53% of his passes over the last three games. Obviously, that's brought down a lot because he, you know, played played in that very windy game at Northwestern. But I, I think that Ohio State's been a little lackluster over the past couple of weeks. And certainly his case is going to be, can CJ Stroud be the reason that Ohio State beats Michigan and makes the playoff? That's it. That's the only case to be made. There's there's. Everything else is basically irrelevant, but I, I think that before last week, I was considering putting Caleb Williams into my conversation. I think the fact that he's going to have three games that everybody in the country watches in his last three games that's going to help them. I, I think you need that as a Pac-12 quarterback. You have to have games that people are going to flip on. And uh, 
so it's going to be a great battle down the stretch. I think that I think that these two guys are are certainly near the top of my list. I think Blake Corum also at Michigan, kind of a similar case to uh, to CJ Stroud, probably in my opinion more important to Michigan than CJ Stroud is to Ohio State even. Um, you know, but it's good, it's going to be a good race and and I think that We'll have to see what happens championship weekend as well, because uh, USC is going to be playing a championship game that's going to be very competitive. But I, I mean, the, the Heisman could be decided this weekend. I do think the Heisman races down to Caleb Williams versus CJ Stroud or Blake Corum, the winner of that game. I, th- I think those are the three people left who can win it because I do think you have to play on championship weekend. And I would Yes. I mean, there's an opportunity for somebody to blow the doors off on conference championship game weekend or in one of these two games here and be like, okay, that's it. It it does feel like I think and I like this. I my guess would be right now they open the envelope and we don't know who it is. Sure. Which I think is fun. Yeah, we have an idea. We we think and listen, they do all the polling now. Like, here's what people say. I, I think that might be where we are, that it's it's so. But we'll see where it is. And obviously, we're going to talk about those two games. Let's talk about the pecking order, though, of the, the teams that are left. And again, we have seven teams that we're talking about here. And I, and I don't want to get into, I, you know, we have to take the possibilities into play. So let's start with, but we don't want to get bogged down in it. Let's start with Georgia LSU. Georgia's going to play Georgia Tech this weekend. They're going to beat Georgia Tech. How do you know? How do you know? Come on, Georgia Tech is a is a giant killer. They the bees just went and uh, and sent my Twitter mentions to hell. Who is their coach? I I, I should know. <laughs> I apologize. Come on, a former for, former Alabama offensive line coach. I think it was Brett Key. Brent Key. I think it's Brent. I think it's Brent <laughs> Key. <laughs> you don't know what his first name is. Okay, I've heard it. I've heard it said. <laughs> it's been. A, I think it's Brent. I think it's Brent Key, uh, who I believe in, is an alum. So like, and and by the way, uh, apparently. Jeff Collins was just completely sandbagging <laughs> during his his last year because they're four and three under Brent. It is Brent Brent Key, uh, who was who was a, uh, associate head coach, offensive line coach, and previously was offensive line coach at Alabama from 2016 to 2018. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens, but maybe Brent gets the job. Who knows? Okay, who knows? I thought we were doing. I thought you were going to. Who knows? Maybe we'll see what happens, but maybe they beat Georgia. I thought that's where you were going, and I was like, what are we doing? That, that will not happen. Okay, so not they're not going to beat Georgia. <laughs> so Georgia is going to be in the SEC championship game, and Georgia will have locked up a spot. Win or lose, Georgia's going to be in. If LSU beats Georgia, LSU – who's LSU play this week? <laughs> uh, that would be the fighting Texana Maggies. Oh, for real? Oh, man. That actually is an easier game than Georgia has. Okay. So LSU is playing Texas <laughs> One A&M. of them has a winning record over their last seven games, and that's Georgia Tech. <laughs> and one of Georgia Tech and Texas A&M, one of their head coaches has a chance to still be the head coach a year from now. <laughs> Might not be Jimbo. So yeah. – that uh, okay, so LSU is not going to lose that game. So then, if LSU beats Georgia, LSU's in. But like the idea of like is LSU going to beat Georgia? We can cover that. We'll preview all the conference championship games a week from now. We're not going to spend a ton of time on that. That seems very, very unlikely. So then Georgia's 
in. The Ohio State-Michigan winner is in. Do you think TCU – so TCU plays Iowa State this week. They're not going to lose to Iowa State, right? No, no. They're, they're going to beat them 55-3 to three and then move down. I've seen this movie before. <laughs> so the thing is, actually, I think TCU actually – could lose to Iowa State, but if they but if they win the Big Twelve championship game and they're the one last Big Twelve champs, they would still get in the playoff. I agree. I don't know. It's weird. They can lose to the worst team and then go win the Big Twelve championship. I but if they don't win, it's going to be probably Kansas State. If Kansas State wins this week, then it'll be Kansas State in the Big Twelve championship game. I don't know that TCU is going to get in if they lose in the Big Twelve championship game. That gets dicey, right? Look, I, I think that's. When we started the playoff era, we heard that championships mattered. And I think that if TCU loses and isn't the Big 12 champion, that should absolutely sandbag them a little bit, right? It puts them in a conversation where you're talking about the loser of the game. Well, let's, let's say let's say for that, because there's a direct question I want to ask. But we think TCU, if it loses the Big 12 championship game, is in trouble. Is in trouble. I don't think they're guaranteed out because they I mean they've played a tough schedule they've played well they're gonna be 12 and 1 I I don't think that they're completely no doubt no question about it out but I think that I think that they put themselves they, they move from being a lock to being one of the teams in the discussion and then USC plays Notre Dame and then plays the Pac 12 championship game if USC wins out USC is in lock so if it's if things go chalk, it'll be Georgia, the Ohio State, Michigan winner, TCU, and USC. Those are our four playoff teams. Now, if if either TCU or USC lose, that then opens the door. It's like who's in the fifth spot? Who's waiting for the opportunity to walk through the door if it's opened? And this is the conversation I want to have to get your view on this now. And and I don't think what the committee is telling us this week on the Tuesday rankings really affects it this much because we already have an idea of what they think about Clemson. But again, they don't treat you as a champ until you are a champ. Do you think the Ohio State-Michigan loser would definitively have the edge over Clemson as a one-loss ACC champ if the door opens? Or do you think potentially having that championship and only one loss could mean that Clemson gets in ahead? of the Ohio State-Michigan loser. And it, I think it does depend on, is it Ohio State or Michigan? And how did they lose? But as we sit here now, what do you think that discussion is? Yeah, I mean, I look, I think that Michigan has no shot if they lose. I, I Their schedule is awful. You offic- So you officially think that? Because I do think, I think that's a very important point to make. They're an eight-point dog at this point to Ohio State. They're on the road. That is a very important point to make, and you're you're basing that again. I think we had this discussion before. Sometimes I forget where I have podcast discussions. I do think if they look great and barely lose, I think that changes. I think that matters. I think how they lose, and we're not saying Michigan's going to lose, but right now we're having a conversation in that world. I think how they lose would matter, but you think the schedule would the schedule and the lack of a crown would really come back to bite them in that scenario. I just don't know what their case is at that point because they would have a, a good win, a legitimately good top 15 win over Penn State, and that's it. That That is the only thing that Michigan would have to talk about. And 
the the next best case would be well they didn't lose that bad that would be the second most important thing on their schedule that you know when you look at their strength of schedule it's not just behind everybody else it's way behind everybody else i i think that another part of this is the fact that illinois has fallen apart probably hurts them as well and by the way illinois is the before you know heading into this week illinois is the second best team that they've played this year and they should have lost the game right like they should have lost the game and so i don't think that michigan has anything to fall back on whatsoever you know for ohio state i still don't I still don't love their chances, but I think that they're more in the conversation if that were to happen. I think that uh, because I think that um, that they have the Notre Dame game, which is a game that's probably going to help them more than people thought it would. The, the, the thing I think is important there is that Ohio State beat Notre Dame and Notre Dame is the team that beat Clemson. I think that is a that is a very important – it just happens to be the case that magnifies not only is Notre Dame turning into a pretty decent win for Ohio State, but it's not head-to-head, but it's one removed from head-to-head. And so – and again, also the thing here, if, Notre, if, one, if one of the reasons the door opened is because Notre Dame beats USC, it's not Notre Dame has beaten USC and Clemson and Ohio State beat Notre Dame – I think there's a very specific thing here that might give Ohio State a, a, a little extra edge over Clemson. I, I agree. And so I think that that helps, you know, look, heading into this game, uh, we can talk about how weird and maybe misrepresentative it is. But Ohio State's won all their games by double figures this season heading into into the Michigan game. Right. Like, obviously, last week's game is a little bit of a of a misnomer because there was that sort of scoop and score at the end. But, uh, you know, they, they haven't really been in a position where they were going to lose a game. Michigan was going to lose against Illinois, if not for a couple really fortunate things going right, including a very controversial missed pick play call, which uh, Brett Bielema might have some thoughts about. But, you know, I, I mean, I think that I think that for me, right, if if Michigan had wiped past Illinois, then like maybe you have a case. But this is the this will be the third best data point on their schedule is a game they probably should have lost. Like probably from a win probability perspective, they probably were on the wrong side of that. And so I, I just don't see a pathway for Michigan having anything, especially when you're talking about Clemson as a team that we're talking about being 12 and one with the conference championship and, you know, being undefeated in conference play. And also, you know, some of these teams have struggled down the stretch. NC state sort of chief among them because they lost quarterback Devin Leary. But you know, when, when Wake Forest and when NC State and when some of these teams were, were playing and then North Carolina even, I mean, these were not bad teams. These were top 25-ish teams that, uh, that Clemson's played. So I don't think that you can make the case that, well, Clemson's just played nobody at this point. Even Syracuse, you know, Syracuse has gotten kind of hurt down the stretch, but they were a pretty decent team uh, when, when Clemson did play them. So, I think that Clemson just has too many data points. And then, by the way, that doesn't even count TCU, who as a non-champion, hypothetically, who I still think would be certainly ahead of Michigan. And I, I think that Ohio State would would have more of a chance in that room. But I, I don't think that it's definitive by any point. Also helps Clemson. They're playing South Carolina this week. And all of a sudden, South Carolina is more respected because they just <laughs> right. beat Tennessee. Right, right, right. Totally, totally. That that ups that ante. For, and again, this is assuming Clemson beats South Carolina. So I do think in the end, I think we know the four that if they went out, they're in. And if the door gets cracked open, I think my order would be Ohio State as the Ohio State-Michigan loser, 
then Clemson as a one-loss AC champ, then Michigan as the Ohio State-Michigan loser. So so I think that is and, – and then again, it gets complicated of – because the thing that hasn't happened – again, we saw the 2016 example where Penn State is the Big Ten champ. Ohio State is not the Big Ten champ. Ohio State gets in and Penn State does not. We have not seen a team lose a conference title game – and the conference champ doesn't get in, but the loser does get in, which is what it would require if Kansas State beats TCU. That is just a little bit of a bridge, a little bit farther to go, further to go for the committee. Doesn't mean they couldn't get there, and it's Kansas State's own fault for losing to Tulane and the games they lost. But it's it's a little tougher, which I think makes TCU's path as a one-loss non-champ that loses the conference title game a little bit tougher. But again, I think the thing we keep, need to keep in mind is that Clemson's still alive. And there was a time when people like, because once Clemson lost to Notre Dame, the committee, they plunged down the committee rankings. That was like, they're done. But there's only seven teams on our board, and they're seventh, but they actually might be sixth, and it might not need to be all that much crazy stuff to have happen. One thing that I'm, I am very curious about is, you know, one of the things that we've seen with these conference championship games outside of the SEC is that in the divisional championship games, I mean, we really haven't seen very many actually competitive games, right? We, we, this year, we're going to get the winner, you know, winner versus two V three against Iowa, a, a team that's probably in the 40s or 50s of rankings, right? Um, North Carolina is probably going to be a little better than most, but most of the teams that Clemson has played are miserable. And so we are in a situation now where without divisions, and and this would have been the case in the Pac-12, even if they had kept divisions, because Oregon and USC are probably going to be those teams, and they were historic North and South teams. But, you know, that that's one thing that I'm going to be very curious about with, uh, with a TCU-Kansas State game, too. You talk about a loser never getting in. We haven't really had a game that's as competitive in a, in a little while as probably what a 1v2 would be in a divisionless setup, you know? So I don't know exactly how the committee would handle it. Obviously, I think that TCU should probably try their best not to lose that football game and find out because they might not like the answer. But uh, but I am curious if that does sort of factor in when we do have these legit 1v2 type matchups, uh, whether that does impact how the committee views it versus a situation like Ohio State or Michigan playing against a miserable, you know, seven and five type Iowa team. I misspoke. Seven teams left. LSU seven. Clemson six. But Clemson might actually be five if Michigan loses to Ohio State and it isn't that close and all of a sudden. So Clemson, Clemson once upon a time seemed very unlikely. It's it's not all that unlikely for Clemson at this point. Okay, we don't need to do you guys know what's up. That's who matters right now. This is a playoff show where we have playoff discussions. We're not going to bother with our rankings and all the other, you know, kicking in and whatever. North Carolina and Tennessee are kicked out. We're down to seven. Of course, nobody else is getting in. And you guys know what we think about these teams. So when we come back, we're going to dig in on the two games that really, really matter this week. 
Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. The great part about this rivalry is that it's almost Saban versus Saban. You get old Saban versus new Saban in some ways, and and that's not to say that Kirby Smart doesn't have his own identity, but I I think that it's just fun to watch those styles mesh with each other. It's fun to see those styles fight with each other. And uh, and I think that, again, this rivalry is not going to go away, regardless of this game not happening uh, in, in 2022. You had like English class, like literature class, like uh, in school, right? You ever read books? I, I have read books, yes. Uh, Wasn't that like a thing like in seventh grade? I don't even know what it's called, but it's like in a novel with the protagonist. It can be like man versus man, man versus nature, <laughs> yes, remember, right? Yes. Or man versus himself, right? That was always yes. the one I was like, oh, yeah, man versus himself. Oh. That actually is my number two rivalry is Bama versus Bama because it's man versus himself. Oh. I'm just kidding. I love man versus himself. Everything I wrote for the next 20 years was man versus himself. And then it's just in your own <laughs> head. And it's like at some point, could you find another man? Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. All right, so let's start with Ohio State, Michigan. And we've had a lot of conversations about J.J. McCarthy, the Michigan quarterback. And this is a very interesting situation where there's clearly Ohio State's better at passing it, Michigan's better at running it. The Blake Corum injury last week, and again, we're recording this early in the week on a Monday. Blake Corum hurt his knee, left the game, came back in the second half, played one play, and then said, "Eh, it's not great. Um, But he was walking. He was delivering turkeys, doing charity work on Sunday. He was walking under his own power, which at very least is a good sign. He said, like, I'm fine, but it was kind of vague about it. So it's not a definitive thing. It certainly really matters if he's going to play. Knowing nothing, my guess is this seems maybe like the kind of thing that you slap on a knee brace and he tries to go. And maybe he's not quite himself, but maybe he's close enough to himself to be able to do it, not put himself at risk. But um, it's the the opposite sides of this, right? We know Michigan can run it when they're healthy. We know Ohio State can throw it when they're healthy. The opposite sides are really intriguing. And, and one of the things that's really, as it turns out, could really matter is I think Ohio State might have to play a true freshman running back in this game because Dallin Hayden has run the ball really well the last two weeks. He hits the holes better than anybody on the roster or certainly as well as Mayan Williams and, and better this year than Trayvon Henderson. Trayvon Henderson and Mayan Williams have both been battling injuries all year. We don't know as exactly where they are. We have compared him. I have compared him to like, he's in like Cardell Jones mode of Cardell Jones with a third string quarterback who Ohio state needed down the stretch in a playoff run. Dallin Hayden is, should be the fourth string tailback because they lost their number three tailback before the season started. He's a true freshman who wasn't even here in the spring. He's a summer guy. And here he is. And it could really matter. So just like J.J. McCarthy is going to have to throw it pretty well, and you're going to need the Michigan receivers to step up, Ohio State's going to have to at least run it a tiny bit, and it might be a freshman running back. But when we talked about on the Apple Podcast show, Shahan, all the things that matter in a rivalry, contrast is not required, but it's flavorful. And man, the contrast of these teams is is about as stark as it gets. No question. I, I mean, I think that you look at what Michigan's done this year. I believe they're still number four in the country in rushing offense behind Ole Miss and the service academies. And that's it. That those are the only teams that run the ball more and better than what Michigan does. Uh 
I, I think that injuries are going to be such an interesting part of this game because you mentioned, of course, uh, the Ohio State running back injuries probably having to play a freshman. Well, you know, Michigan, you know, Blake Corum, of course, like you mentioned, is going to be a little banged up. But Donovan Edwards also missed last week, their number two running back, who, who's been a huge part of their success as well. And I've been harping all season, all season long on Michigan passing game. Can you show me anything? Can you can you prove to me that you can do anything of substance, anything of note? And they had a big opportunity to do that in the second half against Illinois. And guess what? They did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. They were a complete non-factor in the second half of that game. And uh, and Michigan was unable to put together a single touchdown drive. They had to settle for four field goals, some of them lengthy. So I'm concerned about that. I, I don't like a team being one-dimensional. Now, look, last year, Michigan was pretty one-dimensional and they still won that game, but I I thought that the point of putting in J.J. McCarthy was adding a dynamic component at the quarterback position, and in my opinion, we haven't seen it at all. We, we haven't seen him be consistent. He hasn't been all that efficient passing the ball either. I, I, it's, if Blake Corum is at all dinged up, which, by the way, credit to Blake Corum for the day after suffering an injury, going out and, and wanting to do charity work, but like... I hope he's okay because if he's not okay, I don't know what Michigan does in this game. So the thing that I think is, and I've been not, I've been trying to really talk this out with myself, considering how Saturday unfolded seven crazy hours of big 10 football, where it felt like, Oh, this two versus three game is going to get sidetracked first by Michigan losing. No, they survived. Wait, now Ohio state's going to lose. No, they survived. They're two of the four undefeated teams in college football. And when you don't have a loss to be like, well, that's your loss. That wasn't good. I do think you examine the unimpressive wins more. But in the end, there's only four teams who have gotten this far to this point. And these are two of them. And I do think because the schedules are not great, Michigan's especially, which we've covered a lot, and that Michigan State's not as good as you thought, Wisconsin's not as good as you thought, maybe Notre Dame's coming back around, but again – They're not as good as you thought coming into the year. I do think it opens both Ohio State and Michigan to be judged on a pretty harsh scale because they didn't ever really fall off the cliff, but they also never really climbed the mountain because so you end up with a lot of like, they're just kind of walking around and then you're like, well, you know, you have on the wrong walking shoes and are you kind of (laughs) limping or what? And, And it's like, well, I didn't fall in a pit. And it's like, yeah, but you also didn't climb up a mountain. And it's much easier to judge people or teams when they're on mountaintops or in pits. And when you're just walking around, you're just walking around. I'm almost 50 now. I'm at the just walking around stage and nobody (laughs) knows what to make of me. So I do think like nobody's instinct after Saturday was to credit Michigan and Ohio State for finding ways to win. Right. That was not where anybody was. It was much more like, oh, my gosh, like Michigan played a decent defense and they literally can't do anything. Oh, my gosh. Why is Maryland, which got shut out by Penn State the week before, now Maryland's moving the ball, marching 75 yards on this Ohio State defense and Ohio State can't put them away? What is wrong with these teams? That's our instinct because we're not saying, oh, I can't believe they lost a blank earlier in the year. But yet, and, and then also, there is a talent threshold that both these teams have. Ohio State more, but Michigan still to a great degree, which raises the expectation level. TCU, playing a tougher schedule, 
a tougher schedule, a tougher schedule, a tougher schedule. Acknowledged, noted, very important, and is a big part of it. But also the TCU expectations aren't as high, given their talent baseline. So I do think TCU gets a little more credit on the gritty scale for finding ways to win because people kind of expect TCU to lose one of these games eventually, and they haven't. With who Ohio State and Michigan have played, nobody expects Ohio State and Michigan to lose. So then when they win weird and win ugly, that's the closest thing to failure that you can have. But we have to remember that since these teams played a year ago, the only game that either of these teams has lost is Michigan losing to Georgia, the national champ. And they've won every other game. That is hard to do. So I think two things at once. I think they both really are vulnerable. I, I do think for as they are very strange. And it's kind of this whole college football season that's been this way, Shahan. They're both really good with very obvious vulnerabilities. That they have overcome those vulnerabilities to get this far. But oh boy, I think both fan bases are going into this game being like, man, I'm not so sure about my 11 and 0 team. It is, fa- and, and in different ways. I think it is fascinating for them to be as good as they are. They're as good as anybody. I think they're as good as Georgia or close, right? Because Georgia's had moments too. If you want to see Georgia's the best team, great. I don't think there's a huge gap to Ohio State, Michigan. But man, we also know exactly how it could go wrong on Saturday. I, I can't, oftentimes if you get a game like this, this late, it's like, boom, powerhouse versus powerhouse. And that doesn't seem to be the vibe around this game right now. I think the thing for me though, is that we have not seen them, either of these teams really, uh, outside of, I, I mean, look, the Notre Dame game is going to be something that Ohio State will be able to hold on to at the end of the year, but that's the Notre Dame team also that lost to Marshall, right? So like they're a, they're kind of a different team now than they were in week one. So so even that's a little bit of a weird sort of comparison to make for me. But uh, all that to say, we have absolutely no idea how either of these teams will react to even a team that's in the top half of the power five. You know, the only game basically that either of them has played against that sort of competition is against Penn state. And now, you know, Michigan ran all over Penn state, uh, but Ohio state looked kind of ugly for a little while. And I, I think that that's sort of the thing that concerns me personally is we feel like we have this good idea of what these two teams are until they play anybody of note, not even like an awesome team, not even a top five team. We don't know how they look against a top 30 team like because everything suddenly changes. Ohio State uh, against Notre Dame in that first game, completely different team than what they've been in other games. Uh, Ohio State against Maryland, uh, Ohio State against Penn State, just a completely different team than what we've seen them be against everybody else. Uh, and Michigan, you know, they, they play their sort of first great rush defense this past week and they can't do a whole lot. And so I think that's the thing to me is we don't know how either of these teams is going to react to being encountered with legitimate scheme and talent and great coaching because they haven't really had to do it at any point this year. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't. But what about Penn State? What Are you dismissing their Penn State wins? I mean, because you're, you're saying like, well, yes, Penn State, then he said something about top 30. Penn State's like the ninth, 14th best team in the country. Like that's a real team. It's a real team. And so I think that the way that I look at it for two teams is, you know, look, Michigan was kind of able to push through them. And, and I, I credited Michigan. You know, I, I 
I wasn't impressed with that Penn State win at the time. I'm relatively impressed with what Michigan did against Penn State in the running game. The question is, if the running game is at all compromised heading into this Ohio State game, right, with Blake Corum, maybe even if he's a little dinged up, even if he's 85 percent and then Donovan Edwards, maybe the same thing. I don't know if we know if he's going to play in this game. Then then what are they? What, What do they do? Right, because in the second half of that Illinois game, and this is an Illinois team that is really falling apart down the stretch, Michigan looked miserable, just completely miserable. So, all that to say that that doesn't mean that they can't reach that level. And, and like you said, Georgia also hasn't been perfect this year by any means either. But we have seen them play elite competition at times this year, and hold up, right? We saw them play Oregon, obviously, in that opener. We saw them completely demolish Tennessee. And so I think that we have an idea that when faced with an elite team, a top five, top 10 caliber team, they can stand up and say, it, you know, we're, we're the guys. We are, we are them. And that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean that Ohio State and Michigan can't, but I don't know that they have at this point either. So it makes this one of the most unknown games that I feel like I've had in a while because I don't think that we've seen either of these teams have to actually get countered with comparable, not even talent, but a comparable level team. Again, acknowledging that Penn State is somewhere between the ninth and 15th best team in the country. Michigan in the end leaned on its offensive line, leaned on the run game, and rolled over Penn State. Ohio State, in the end, takes the field, trailing in that game with nine and a half minutes left, but then throws the ball to win, right? And they had Joey Porter Jr. is a really good corner. They have Penn State is a really good secondary, and Ohio State was able to throw the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. sort of at will in that game when they needed to. So I do think the thing that's interesting there is the best team they played, and those are the only two games Penn State's lost, and they've looked really good in a lot of their other games. Um, they did both those offenses in the end, did the thing that they do best to put those games away. So that to me is some proof of, okay, well, and, and the, the tough thing about the Michigan thing last week is they're struggling the second half and not cashing it in the red zone with no Blake Corum and with no Donovan Edwards. So I do think it's fair. The, their offensive line, and listen, um, they've only only their center, Oli Oli Watimi, has played every game for them. They've played the other offensive line guys have all been in and out at least a little bit, and they've managed to keep it together. So you have to give their offensive line a lot of credit. But in the end, when they struggled in the second half last week against Illinois, they didn't have either of their top two backs for a run first team. For a run only team. Yeah, that's gigantic. That's gigantic. We don't think they'll be that against Ohio State, that they would be completely without both Corum and Edwards. So I I do think that matters. And so I do think there's a world where it's been a little bit of a goofy year for both of them. But I do think when they were pushed offensively, you saw the best version of Michigan take care of Penn State. And you saw the best version of Ohio State when it was needed in the final 10 minutes take care of Penn State. And I do think – As much as I think there are vulnerabilities for both these two teams, my guess is that those are the two offenses that show up Saturday. Now, they're going to face good defenses. You know, I think I think these are both top 20 defenses for sure. I I think they might both be 
top 10 defenses. I think statistically you can find a world where like Michigan's like a top five defense for sure. And, and maybe Ohio State is too. So that's not going to be easy. But in the end, Shahan, as you think about this, when you exp- – this showdown, and let's just keep our fingers crossed for Blake Corum because everybody wants that. I think Ohio State fans want that. We want Blake Corum. Best of luck to him. Do you expect in the end that these teams both do their thing and look good? Or does it feel like, oh, okay, well, they are pretty good at the thing they do well, but they're so uncertain at the other thing that the defenses force them into awkward positions, and now Ohio State can't run it, and Michigan can't throw it, and all of a sudden they look a little scattered. And you'll give credit to the defenses for that. Is your guess that this game unfolds strength versus strength? The offenses both look good, or that in the end it turns out uh, maybe they were doing a lot of their work against bad teams. So both of their plan A's are going to impact this game, right? They're not going to be eliminated. But I do think that this game will be decided by their plan B's. And that's why I lean Ohio State in this game. Because I think that even with uh, Trayvon Henderson not playing at his best, you know, we saw Dallin Hayden last week. They, they put the ball in his hands and said, go win us this game. Uh, a true freshman running back against, uh, against Maryland. And he did it. You know, I, the, the drive that stood out to me was the drive when they took a two score lead on Maryland, when they handed the ball to Don Hayden seven straight times and he basically marched down the field to set up a three yard touchdown. Now it wasn't super efficient. It wasn't the most effective. I'm sure the EPA numbers and advanced analytics probably said, you know, okay, you know, this, this is an okay strategy, but I think the fact that they have proven with, uh, certainly with Dallin Hayden and, and also, I mean, is mine Williams is probably not going to play, right? Is, is that the assumption? Uh, no, I mean, they, they, they were saying after the game on Saturday that Ryan Day thinks mine Williams has a chance to play. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think he did much last week. So I think it, but I do think it's, it, I think it's, I think at the moment you should assume that Mayan Williams will play. It's not a guarantee. And, and I think that, I think that Mayan Williams is even more of a, a, a better plan B, I guess you, you would say than Dallin Hayden. Right. Um, I think that that Ohio State has more of that plan B in their arsenal. I think that they have more of an ability to win in a different way than Michigan does. I that, that's why I again I keep harping on that one thing that uh, that Michigan can't do anything to stretch the field in the passing game because I do think that when you play legitimately elite teams that they have the ability to at least make your plan A really tough. And I like you said Penn State's a very good team. They're a very good defense. I don't think they're an elite team. I, I don't think that they are the type of team that is good enough to say, we're going to take away something from you. I know Georgia can do that. I know that I even think that TCU can do that, right? We saw them play against Bijan Robinson a couple weeks ago and hold him to 29 yards. Uh, if your plan A gets taken away, what are you going to do? And I don't know that Michigan has that answer. All right. Well, let's make a pick here, right? I mean, I do think um, both these defenses are going to matter. The Ohio State defense has come a long way. I don't know that the Ohio State – I think Michigan might have the better defense, but Ohio State has made up the gap, Yeah, has made up yeah. the gap so much. They're so much closer. And I do think when you think about especially that Michigan run game, and I've talked about it a million times, 
since it happened last year, but there was a play in the second half, like a 50 plus Blake Corum run where it was like eight guys perfectly blocking it. And in addition to Michigan blocking it perfectly, I just looked and said, who's the Ohio State guy on the field who's going to make a play there? Who's going to shed the block and make a play? And they have multiple guys now who are doing that. Tommy Eichenberg at the linebacker level, especially as a run stopper, has had a tremendous year. He'll come blitz on and, and do those things as well. And then Lathan Ransom as a safety has really become a playmaker in the last couple of weeks. And Ronnie Hickman as their other safety is like a glue guy who doesn't make any mistakes and keeps it all together. So when I look and think, well, do they have guys who are going to make plays in the run game? They didn't last year, and I think they do now. So I do think the Ohio State defense will certainly defend the Michigan run better than it did last year. So, so, and, and let me, let me ask a, a, a very specific question about that before we get into the pick. So, you know, that was such a big issue last year was obviously guys being in bad situations, bad positions. Um, do, do you feel like on the, let's say the front seven defensive line, but especially the front seven kind of in general, do you feel like what Ohio State has done from a run defense perspective? is something that's built to hold up against that kind of offensive line, against that kind of running back. Do do you think that these are defensive linemen who, against that level of team, can fill some of those gaps the way that they've done against better teams? I think they can slow them down. I don't think they'll stop them, but they have a couple space eater defensive tackles in Teron Vincent and Ty Hamilton have been playing really well the last couple of weeks. Um, JT Tuimoloau at defensive end, like he's he's an athletic guy, but he's got some size to him. Zach Harrison, the other defensive end who starts, is a run stopper first and has been one of their best run defenders the past couple of years. He's a big physical guy. Um, they can get a pass rush when they need to, but I but I do think they're pretty good i don't think they're going to get steamrolled now i'm sure michigan will have its moments but i think they can make michigan march i know michigan sometimes you know jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator was talking about the escape hatch and not letting michigan hit that hole that that pops a big one i do think they have a better chance to contain that and not give up 50 yard runs i think they'll do pretty well I think they'll hold up. I don't – I would be very surprised if the Ohio State defense gets steamrolled. And then that gives Ohio State's offense a chance to go win the game. Now, I, I don't – they're not going to shut anybody down. I don't think you shut down Michigan. And these are not stacked with All-Americans everywhere to do that. But but I, I, I think there's reason to believe in the Ohio State much more, much more than a year ago. I, I just feel like, obviously, you know, look, they've they've been in better positions when defending the run. Uh, they've also, I think, just seemed to react better. A lot of that's coaching. A lot of that's being put in the right situation. And and look, I I think that uh, even in hindsight, I think it looks worse. Jim Knowles should have been the Broyles Award winner as the top uh, assistant in college football last year over Josh Gaddis. In my mind, uh, he's probably going to win this year if Ohio State wins this game because. Ohio State's defense is on another planet from what it's been the past couple of years. I expect them to have a game plan. I expect them to be active. I expect them to show some different looks in run defense as well. Uh, I I think that they're going to be creative because that's what Jim Knowles does. And so for me, I think that I trust Ohio State's plan B just more than I trust Michigan's plan B because I I really have no faith in their plan B. Uh, And so I'm going to lean Ohio State. I honestly don't have a ton of faith in Ohio State's plan B. I just think they have a pretty decent chance of hitting on their plan A, which is I think they have to throw to win. And and I do think like I think Ohio State can slow down a Michigan's run game enough 
for them to throw to win. They really are targeting, I think, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka both had more than 10 targets last week. You know, they'll work in Cade Stover, the tight end in the passing game some, but they know where their bread is, is buttered. They're th- they threw the ball on third and short and fourth. They threw it on fourth and one against Maryland last week and didn't make it. Well, but they have to, but they like that chance better. I mean, like it should have worked and like the ball went through Marvin Harrison Jr.'s hands. But I'm telling you, I, I'm, I don't have, you're the one who has faith in the plan B. I don't have faith in their plan B. I don't think they can run it on fourth and one and get it. So they better throw. I think that we saw them do it against Notre Dame. And I think that we saw them do it uh, in the key moments against Maryland as well. Look, the, the reality is for me, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like, First of all, I feel like it's just inevitable that with how much I've criticized CJ Stroud that he's going to go on and become the greatest quarterback of all time. It's just inevitable at this point to make me look like the stupidest person ever. But I do not trust CJ Stroud in those moments at all. I don't. Oh, at all? In the big moments, I I don't I don't trust him down to oh. down enough. I don't. I don't. Oh, no, no. I mean, it's it's easy to I mean, it's one of those things. We all do this, which is like you remember the times in a big moment where someone fails. And then it's like if there's a big moment, and the person succeeds and like the drive stays alive. You kind of forget that big moment. But he's made some third down throws. He's done some things in key moments. I mean, if they don't they don't beat Penn State if he doesn't make throws in big moments. Right. I mean, they, they came on the field and he hit bang, bang, two throws. And then they run for a 40 yard touchdown to take the lead in that game. I also don't think that they beat Notre Dame if they say CJ Stroud take over this game. They they handed the ball to Mayan Williams and said, go win this game. There's a third down play early in that drive. There's a third and three at the start of that drive. I mean, that cool, I did. But, but we're talking down to down play to play. No, but he has to escape the pocket and make a throw to Mayan Williams out of structure to keep that drive alive. And then they just handed it off because they thought they had an edge there and they, they, they could run on him late. I just don't think... I don't think I don't think Ohio State's going to be able to run on this Michigan defense. That is a matchup I do not like for Ohio State. And so there are some good players in the Michigan secondary, right? I mean, they believe in DJ Turner and Will Johnson's a good young corner. There are guys that Michigan believes in, I think, in the past game. But I just think if it comes down to that, I don't that then I don't like Ohio State's chances. It's like here we are. With like Ohio State needs to run it to it. And they did. They iced the game against Notre Dame running the ball. I just I don't think there's a version, but Notre Dame didn't have the offensive firepower that Michigan has. So I I do think it is going to come down to the basics of Ohio State's got to throw and Michigan's got to run and whoever does a better version of that. I do think Ohio State's going to win. I'm not going to pick a specific score right now. I think it's eight um, around that for the betting line right now. That does seem about right to me. I I think it definitely could be a one score game. I don't think, and I do think Shahan. I do think the emotional part of this matters because Ohio State's been trying to Michigan in the past, you know, Michigan had that revenge tour a couple of years ago and it didn't go well for them. I thought Michigan for a long stretches when they've been losing to this uh, to Ohio State has not been able to manage the intangibles. And I think it hurt them. And now Ohio State has to manage the intangibles. So they're motivated. Revenge can be a great motivator, but revenge can also get you out of sorts if you lean too hard into it. So I haven't seen anything so far that would lead me to think like, ah, Ohio State's not handling this right. But I'm not sure. It's a weird spot for them. And if they're so eager to avenge something that they don't, you know, do what you're supposed to do on the field, I think it could be. a. So I had it in the back of my mind of I think football versus football. I like Ohio State. I'm leaving a little window for, oh, my gosh, like Ohio State was so jacked up 
they're down 17 nothing before anything started because they made some weird mistakes because they were trying to avenge a loss. So so let me let me ask one more specific question. So David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson ain't walking through that door at Michigan, right? They they are not that kind of pass rushing team this year. They they are a good pass rushing team, but not like that. That was one of the great pass rushing combos that we've seen in years. Will Ohio State be able to protect CJ Stroud to where 90% of the time he is working in structure? Because I that's where I have issues with CJ Stroud. Is I don't I don't love him. And part of it is Look, the the tier that we are comparing him to is Bryce Young, Caleb Williams, Drake May, that tier. That that is that is the bar. And so when when I say that I don't trust him, it's not that I don't trust him more than I trust JJ McCarthy. That's not the question. It's do I trust him to be a Heisman caliber, number one draft pick like he's being talked about, even even in the, the mode of a Justin Fields, right? Even even that level, right? Do I trust him as much as that? And that's where I have issues. Yeah, no, his escapability is not in the same level of Bryce Young and Caleb Williams and Justin Fields and guys like that. So he has to win pre-snap. He has to win by identifying things and getting the ball out. And it's not that I need him to run, to be clear. It's not that I need him to run. That's not the point. It's that even if it's just stepping up, I, I don't feel like I've seen that well enough. I do think, so last year the problem was, you know, Ohio State, I think the offensive line felt pretty good about running the ball last year. And then, then when it got down to brass tacks, they couldn't protect in the Michigan game. I do think they feel like they can protect this year. I don't know if they'll be able to get the push and run the ball consistently. Like that's kind of been the thing this year that they're just not moving people enough in the run game. But Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones are, are two of the better tackles in college football. And and again, you know, Mike Morris is a good player and and Mozzie Smith is going to be a problem inside for Ohio State to deal with, but it's it's not Hutchinson and, and Ajabo. So I do think, which is why again, I think they have to throw. I mean, I think I, I think he might I mean, I think a version of an Ohio State win here is like CJ Stroud throws for 450. And it doesn't mean that Michigan that Ohio State gains 700 yards. It's like CJ Stroud throws for 450 and they run for 96. I just I just don't they want to be balanced, but it's like great. You want to be balanced, but like this is kind of what you do. What's the weather out there like right now? Is, is it windy? No, at I know. All? That's the thing. I mean, like we were writing. I mean, like that's like a that's real. Yeah, that's yeah, real. Totally, totally. Like like 40 mile per hour winds. I don't know who I'm picking. Like if it's not 40 mile per hour winds, I'll, I'll pick Ohio State. So you and I are both going to lean Ohio State in this game. I do think it's competitive. And, and I would expect that they play like everybody plays well. I, I, you can see the vulnerabilities, but I think they'll lean into what they do best. And I think it'll be a, a high level competitive game, which would keep the loser at least in the conversation for a playoff spot. So we'll both take Ohio State. So we're both picking Ohio State, but I will say, like, what is the percent chance that you give Ohio State versus Michigan? Because, you know, like, it's easy to say we're picking one or the other. Like, how much would it surprise you if Michigan came out and won convincingly? It would not surprise me. Yeah. So I, I think it's like 70, 30. Okay. I'm, I'm like at, I'm at like 60. I'm at like 60. Cause, cause I really don't know how either of these teams are going to react to that moment because maybe I, I don't think it's out of the question that Michigan, especially if Corum and Edwards are healthy, comes out and not, not does what they do to a, all the way to Penn State, but I, I do think that it could be in that caliber. Like I do think that they could potentially come out and run all over them. Yeah, I think you have to leave them for that. 
I mean, Michigan's good. I mean, it's like, hey, how can you how can you be at ninety percent against an undefeated third best team in the country? I, I don't know how you would be there. I wouldn't give. I don't think I give Georgia ninety percent against Michigan, right? So this is not a, a shot. These are these are two really good teams. I, I would say seventy thirty. Looks like there's rain potentially in the forecast. Okay, <laughs> temperatures. I don't I don't have a wind forecast yet. So okay, that's where we think about Ohio State, Michigan. When we come back, we'll we'll dip our toes in a little bit to usc notre dame we'll do it next the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line Douglas maurice and shahan J. Haraja back i know there's this thing of like i just don't know if if usc or if they're going to get through these last three games three highly competitive games ucla notre dame pac-12 championship undefeated I don't know that Notre Dame is the right formula to beat USC, though, because I still have – I think lots of people have real doubts about the USC defense, but I'm not sure Notre Dame is going to make them pay for that. I don't know that – Notre Dame can't play the kind of game that Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Zach Charbonnet and UCLA played last week, right? They're not going to play the kind of game that Utah and Cam Rising and Dalton Kincaid played in in that game when USC lost. Like I don't, I don't think Notre Dame can – score in the 40s which i think is the best way to beat usc right now so i i i'm not exactly sure how much i think notre dame has that great of a chance in this one yeah i I will say one thing too is that when jordan addison is healthy for usc they are basically unstoppable offensively i mean they are they are just so unbelievable when he's a big part of their game plan his numbers were great last week 11 catches for 178 yards and a touchdown but i don't even think that takes into account how impactful he was on that game i mean he is just somebody who stretches the field for everybody else when you saw caleb williams have some of his struggles it was during that time period when jordan addison was missing games he uh, actually even at the end of that utah game when uh when utah went for two-point conversion one and uh and handed usc their only loss that was when jordan addison suffered his injury and missed sort of the last half of the fourth quarter of that game so i i think that if jordan addison's healthy i i just don't know that notre dame has the ability to completely stop this team and slow down this team enough uh one thing that will be instructive is looking at uh, Notre Dame's win over Clemson. You know, Notre Dame ran for 263 yards and two touchdowns in that game. They basically just handed the ball to Diggs and estimate their running backs and, and said, get out of the way. And and maybe that's how they try to control this game is they try to limit possessions and, and make life difficult. But Drew Pine threw for 85 yards in that game. I don't think that's going to be good enough against the USC offense. I just don't. Uh, a big part of of Clemson losing against Notre Dame was that their offense was held to 281 yards and 14 points. And that's just not going to be the case. I, I think that you have to assume that USA, USC's offense, worst case scenario, scores 35 points. I, I think you have to set the, the benchmark there. And the question is, can Notre Dame find ways to get to that point? It could come through uh, great defensive plays. I think that's going to be a big part of it. Interceptions, pick sixes, special teams plays. I think those are all in the cards. Uh, and I will say USC is due for a bad turnover luck game. They have been unbelievable from a turnover perspective. But part of it is that they just take care of the ball. Like part of it is that they just don't put the ball in harm's way. And I, I don't know that Notre Dame necessarily has a way to do that. Um, another thing that I will mention, you know, look, 
USC has leaned so much on Travis Dye this season. He's out for the season. And uh, so I, I don't know if they're going to be able to run on this defense. Uh, Austin Jones, uh, a running back at USC, had 120 yards last week, but UCLA's defense is not Notre Dame's defense. I think they're going to struggle to run the ball in a big way. And a lot of this is going to be on Caleb Williams. But if it's if it's Caleb Williams versus Notre Dame's run game, I'm taking Caleb Williams. I'm kind of coming around and kind of wanting to see Ohio State versus USC in the playoff. It would be fun. It would be a lot of fun. You, you might need if, if if Ohio State wins and Ohio State's the two. I don't. I guess USC. I mean, you might need it. I don't know. USC <laughs> would have like jump wins, TCU to three. get to the three. Yeah, no. Yeah, if TCU the wins, they're the three. Yeah. So that because you you want this Lincoln Riley Ryan Day Caleb Williams CJ Stroud kind of matchup. Have we gotten a Lincoln Riley Ryan Day game? Because no. we got the we got the Lincoln Riley Ryan Day offensive coordinator game in 2017, but not not as a head coach, right? Right. Well, Lincoln Riley was the head coach that year, but right, right, right. Ryan, but, Day, but Ryan was Day was. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Day was right. Um, and we have not seen it in the playoff as much as Ohio State and Oklahoma have both been in the playoff. They have not seen each other. So I, I kind of. I think we kind of want to see that. We're going to see it in the Big Ten. Like, it's coming anyway. Ryan Day, talk about that rivalries. Sucks. We did a that great – in the Big Ten. The Apple Podcast show that we did this week was really good on the best rivalries of the college football playoff era. Ryan Day, Lincoln, Riley, if they stick around, could could head that way because they're going to be playing in the regular season, conference championship games, and then maybe again in the playoffs. So that that could be really fun. Um I do think as much as I as much as I think all the doubts about the USC defense are real, they had a lot of good toner, turnover luck early. That kept them that let them win while the offense figured it out. Then the turnover luck hasn't nearly been the same level lately and the offense has figured it out, but there is I again, I believe a lot of turnovers are luck. That turnover that iced the game against UCLA. That wasn't luck, man. That was Alex Grinch dropping a defensive end in coverage and Corey Foreman making a play. That's not the quarterback doesn't see, doesn't expect an edge, an edge guy to be there, you know, nine yards back from the line of scrimmage in coverage. So they do things, they do do things, they trick you. I mean, that's how you, you got to play with the minds of college quarterbacks. So I do think like that idea, because that's what everybody said. USC cannot get a stop here against UCLA. They're not going to stop them. They're going to have to get a turnover. And then Alex Grinch made a play call that got a turnover when they had to have it. So it's it's not only luck, but um, I just it, it's just not the right formula. Now the one thing it, now the, I'll tell you what Marcus Freeman. You know what's a good way to practice for USC? Play Ohio State. So Marcus Freeman, Tommy Rees, that first game they slowed it down. They limited possessions. Ohio State, we're saying, hey, you think USC is going to at least score in the 30s. Ohio State scored in the 20s and like barely got in the 20s. So like if they can play that kind of game, Ohio State in that game, did because Ohio State's defense is better than USC's defense. Ohio State did a really good job on Michael Mayer, Notre Dame's best skill guy in that game. I don't know. That's what they're going to try to do, Shahan. I just think it's, you know, at this point in the year, USC is fully formed. Ohio State was not fully formed at that point. But that's the formula for Notre Dame is play an Ohio State style game and then against a defense that's not as good as Ohio State's. I don't know. Like, it's not my instinct. It feels like a bad matchup for Notre Dame. But they they made it interesting in week one. And so I, I think 
maybe there's an outside shot, but it just feels like the wrong matchup. I just think that it's much more likely that that the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon would maybe this be the scenario where, all right, now Caleb Williams and Bo Nix are in a last guy who has the ball wins the game scenario, and that's a better way to try to beat USC. I'm, I'm curious. You know, one of the, the things when we talk about turnover luck is, for me, fumbles are luck. Fumbles are you just drop the ball, you get in a bad position. I think you can scheme up interceptions a little more. I, I, would you agree with that? No, I think there's a, there's a way that you can play, right? There's a, a decision you make about how you're going to play, how often you're going to drop guys in coverage and disguise things. Are you going to bail in coverage? Are you going to play off coverage and let guys break on the ball? Or are you just going to man up and follow guys around and then you're knocking balls away, but you're not getting picks? I think you can make decisions about how you want to go about it. So I agree with you. Yeah, so and with that said... Uh, USC's got 25 turnovers gained, which through 11 games is pretty ridiculous. Uh, 18 of them are interceptions, right? So I I think that a lot of that is stuff that they're doing. Um, Now, look, you don't get 18 without some luck as well, right? But I do think that this would be a double-digit turnover team in the worst of times uh, from an interception perspective because of what they do, because of the dynamic players that they have. And and this is a maintenance mode USC defense. This is a, we don't really have the talent as yet to be good at defense. So let's just try to do things that give the ball back to the offense because nobody can really deal with that at this point. So, and uh, now the question is, can they force Drew Pine to throw the ball? Because Drew Pine didn't have to throw the ball against Clemson. He, he didn't at all. And if they're able to just run over USC, which is potentially in the cards, it's not it's not uh, ridiculous to think that that might be the case. Then I think that makes the game a little bit more difficult. But I do think that ultimately USC is just a better team. I think they're more dynamic. I don't think that Notre Dame really has enough answers for them. And, uh, and and I think that USC does run away with this game. In the end, we talked a lot about Notre Dame in the preseason where we didn't have Notre Dame in our playoff mix. And we're saying, man, they're playing like four humdinger games. And it turns out that they lost to Stanford and Marshall, which you wouldn't have predicted. <laughs> right, right. But we right, were looking right. at Ohio State, Clemson, BYU, and USC for them. They played with Ohio State. Ohio State had to win that game in the fourth quarter. They beat BYU. They beat Clemson. And now here they are. They are five and a half point underdogs to USC in this game. By the way, latest line, I did just look seven and a half. I think it was eight originally for Ohio State, Michigan, down to seven and a half. So I will take USC here. I would, I guess I would give the points in both these games. Not as I said, I think I said Ohio State, Michigan, one score. I guess if I had to come down to it, I think it's a close game the whole time, but I would give the seven and a half with Ohio State and I would give the five and a half with USC. Where are you? I think we're both picking USC, but do you think it'll be close or no? I I think USC covers. Um, The funny thing about it, and just because of the amount of points, uh, I think if if Ohio State wins, they cover the line. I I just think that that's how it'd work out. But, you know, US or Ohio State is just one of those teams also that if they win, then it's because they just maybe they add a late touchdown at the end, right? They they just kind of keep pile on points. late. Yep. Right, right. It's it's like that Maryland game last week where it's like, I mean, Maryland had the ball with a chance to win the game with a minute left, but actually it ended up being a double digit victory because of just that's how it worked out, right? And so uh, I, I think that that's more of Ohio State's path to covering. I, I would take Michigan and the points because it's just such a big line 
and because I think that Michigan absolutely can win that game. So just when you're talking value, I'd probably go with Michigan. I, I think USC wins by more than five and a half. I think it ends up being a a 10 to 14 point type game. All right. Those are our picks for this game. A week from now, we will be back to discuss everything that happened and then to preview conference championship weekend. We hope you guys all have a great Thanksgiving with your friends and family. We know we got uh, some new listeners last week on this podcast. So if you're new, we hope uh, you are back. We hope you're telling friends. We hope you enjoy it. And you can try our Apple podcast episodes. Again, it's three bucks a month for that subscription. That gets you four bonus episodes every month. So it's 75 cents an episode. And on this show, we really kind of dig in on what's happening in the playoff race. And then those shows will weave around a little bit and find little side things, new ideas that other people aren't doing. So again, this week there, we did the five best rivalries of the playoff era. Happy Thanksgiving. Read Shahan J. Haraja at CBS Sports. Go ahead. I have one more note, uh, because uh, speaking of Chris Vanini, who I mentioned earlier, pointed out that uh, that the Gerald Ford for Gerald Ford Stadium is different. Um, Towson just fired their coach, Rob Ambrose. His replacement, Lyndon Johnston. <laughs> what? Yeah, is his wife's Lyndon name Ladybird? I have no idea. What is happening? No <laughs> so the top responses need to get the Viet Cong on the schedule. <laughs> what is happening? Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there's a guy out there who's involved in college football at all, whose name is Ronald Reagan. But if you're out there, you might be Texas A&M's coach in a month. So stay loose, Ronnie. All right. You never know. Sometimes names matter. Sometimes names matter. All right. He's Shahan. I'm Doug. Thanks to you guys for making the College Football Survivor Show part of your week. And that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.